These two women are named Gerda Cole and Sonia Grist. Gerda, once many years ago, was a, a young Jewish woman living in Austria under Hitler, which was not the best place in the world for a young Jewish woman to live. And so she made the decision to give her newborn daughter up for adoption, that she might have the hope of a better life than being a young Jewish girl under Hitler. The two of them didn't meet for nearly 80 years. This is a picture of the two of them sharing their first Mother's Day together last year. We are shaped by who our parents are, for better or for worse. Even if the, the decision our parents, even if the only decision our parents make is that great decision to, to give us to a, a different or a better chance at a better life, that's a massively important decision that shapes our lives. And for the rest of us who grow up with our biological parents, we know this. We hear ourselves, like it or not, saying the things our parents used to say. Who our parents are matters. And in a way, this is true spiritually as well. Who we allow, who we listen to, who we allow to to shape us, to play that role spiritually will will change who and what we are shaped into. The Apostle Paul knew this. He used parental metaphors quite a bit. He wanted to be a spiritual parent for those he led to the Lord, to these, the people in these churches that he planted. Where we pick up in the book of Galatians this morning, Paul has just used a rather unusual parental metaphor, though, for a man to use. In Galatians 4.19, he said to his friends, My children, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed with you or in you. Isn't that strange? If I told you I want to be your mommy you would not react positively to that, uh, that statement. And you would probably ensure to keep your children away from me, and I wouldn't blame you. But Paul's not being creepy. What Paul is trying to communicate to his friends in these churches that he planted in this region of the world called Galatia, he's like, I, I want you to know how much I care for you like your mom cared for you. And it hurts me to see you and to hear of you listening to the false teachers that have stopped in there. Paul knows that these false teachers who have showed up in these churches want to form the Galatians into the likeness of themselves, not to see Christ formed in them. And it hurts him. And so today, Paul is going to continue to, to use this maternal metaphor. When we read the letters of the New Testament, I mentioned this last week, it's important to remember we are reading other people's mail. Sometimes it's 
It can be difficult to understand, like we wish we had more information that Paul didn't give. But when Paul sat down to write this letter, he didn't need to give some of that background information we wish we had because he was writing to an audience that already knew. When you send a text to someone you know well, you don't give three paragraphs of background information because they already know. And if you do that, please stop it. The rest of us don't like it. But we can tell by reading this letter that this kind of conversation has been going on in Galatia concerning these false teachers who have showed up. They say things like this. In order to be okay with God, you must become a child of Abraham. That's actually true. Then they say, in order to become a child of Abraham... You have to observe the Old Testament law. That part's false. They say, you want to be a child of Abraham, don't you? It's the only way to be grafted in to the promises of God. You have to become a spiritual child of Abraham. But then they say, the on-ramp into those promises is the law. And so that their message becomes this. If you want to be justified before God, okay with God, you want to go to heaven when you die you have to believe in Jesus you have to obey the law and if you do that well enough you'll be justified that's what Paul is refuting because Paul's message is always believe in Jesus Christ and you are justified by that faith God it changes the way God sees you views you 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 are gifted with righteousness you haven't earned and never will. The result of that will be obedience. But Paul still wants his friends in Galatia to be children of Abraham and to understand how to, how to be that and what that means. And he's going to continue on in this maternal parental metaphor and the passage we're going to read this morning is kind of confusing in fact if you don't know the book of genesis well it's impossible to understand twice already through our study in galatians we've had to take a field trip back into genesis to understand some of the story of abraham we're going to have to do it again this morning i'll give you the the spark notes version okay here's what we've learned about abraham so far Uh, In Genesis chapter 12, a guy named Abram who lived in what is today Iraq and did not know God was introduced to the God of the universe. He showed up and just started talking to Abraham, to Abram. God later renamed him Abraham. And God said, you come follow me and I will, I promise you these three things. I'll give you so many descendants, they'll become a, a nation. I'll give that nation its own homeland, the promised land. And then God promised, I will bless all the nations of the earth through that family of descendants that became a nation. Abraham followed God. He and his wife, Sarah, they start walking with this God. They want these promises. But I don't know if you're aware of this. Before you can have many descendants, you have to have at least one. And Abraham and Sarah could not have children. They had serious fertility 
issues. Many of you understand that pain. So, and here's the second lesson we learned from Genesis in the book of Galatians. Abraham came up with a plan to get himself a descendant. And the first plan was through adoption. Abraham um, took his servant, uh, a guy named Eliezer, and he said, I'm going to adopt him, make him my heir, and then God, you can use him to to fulfill these promises. God said, nope, you are going to have a biological son. Adoption's awesome, it's just not how I choose to fulfill my promises to you. You're going to have a biological son. Abraham believed God, and God credited that faith as if it was a lifetime of perfect righteousness. But then more time went by, and still no child. And then it was Sarah's turn to come up with a plan to help God fulfill his promises to Abraham. And Sarah's plan was this. Abraham, fertility-wise, I think I'm the problem. So why don't you take my, my maid servant, a woman named Hagar, marry her, have a child with her, and then God can use that child to fulfill all the promises he promised you. And Abraham said, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. And he does it. He marries Hagar. Hagar becomes pregnant, and he, she has a son. They name him Ishmael. But then God says, Abraham, that's not how I plan to fulfill my promises to you either. You are going to have a child with Sarah. And Abraham said, God, have you seen Sarah lately? <laughs> she is, the fertility thing wasn't working out when we were young. The Bible says Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead, fertility-wise. But God said, that's the plan, and that's what happened. Fourteen years after Ishmael was born to Hagar, Sarah became pregnant, had a son, and they named him Isaac, the son of the promise. But after Three years went by. That was a special time in that that ancient world. Uh, um, That's when kids were fully weaned and there was something of a celebration. And the Bible tells us, Genesis tells us that Ishmael began to sort of mock, deride Isaac. And for reasons that we can talk about another day when we have more time, God told Abraham, you've got to send Ishmael and Hagar away. That's the background we need to be able to understand today's passage. It seems really confusing, but once you understand the background, Paul's point is very clear. Let's read our passage, and we'll see what Paul's trying to teach us. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 21 through 31 together. They read this way. Paul writes, tell me, you who want to be under law, Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, and one by the free woman, uh, and that's Sarah. But the son by the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And the son by the free woman, Isaac, was born through the promise. And Paul says, this is allegorically speaking, 
These women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at the time, uh, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So Ishmael uh, persecuted Isaac. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. There is our passage this morning. Sort of the topic sentence of this is verse 21, where Paul says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Um, this is Paul saying, I'm, I'm going to give an illustration in a minute, but I'm still teaching about this main idea. If you want to be responsible for your own righteousness before God, you have no idea what you're signing up for. If, if you feel like God's opinion of me, I'm in control of God's opinion of me by what I do, how I live, if that's what you're signing up for, you have no idea what you're signing up for. You haven't read the law because it's, it's impossible to make God change the way he sees you based on you. Having said that, Paul says, I want to tell you a story to help illustrate this point, why you don't want to be under the law. You don't want to be responsible for your position before God, for how God feels about you. And then Paul introduces that story we just read and talked about, the, the Abraham having two wives who each had sons, um, Ishmael from the slave woman, Isaac from the free woman. Paul says, consider that old story, remember that old story, I want to use that to prove my point. And then Paul makes this very important point. He says, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. And remember, when Paul uses the word flesh, that does not equal sin. It does not equal sin nature. It does not equal propensity to sin even though that even gets translated that way sometimes. It's wrong. For Paul, our flesh is not our propensity to sin. For Paul, our flesh is just what we think is possible by my own effort. How I worked to get what I want is my flesh. Now, will that take sinful uh, turns a lot of the time? Of course. Of course. But what Paul is saying here is... Ishmael, 
He was born according to like the normal, natural way people try to have children. It makes sense physically. I know all babies are miracles. I know that. But according to the truest sense of that term, miracle, a miracle is something for which there is no like scientific, natural explanation. Okay? Atheists believe how babies are made. Okay? Right? They would not say it's a miracle. Ishmael was not a miracle in that sense of the, of the word. It makes sense. Ishmael represented Abraham's best effort to get God's promises for himself. Isaac, on the other hand, was a miracle. According to the Bible, it was just as likely for two dead people to have a child. <laughs> okay? That's a miracle. Um, Isaac was a miracle baby. Paul says, I want to talk to you using that story as an example that he calls, all right, I'll say, he calls it an allegory, but he doesn't really call it an allegory. I'll explain in a second. Paul uses in verse 24 this Greek word, allegorumina, which is where we get our English word allegory. Paul gives, he doesn't call it an allegory. He says, I'm going to use this as if it were an allegory. I'm going to speak allegorically about this old story of, of Abraham having the two wives who had the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. An allegory, and I'm going to try to keep the English literature lesson short here, kids, but an allegory is a, is a story that's not true, but if you read that story, you'll learn real truth that's like hovering above that made-up story. Jesus' parables are allegories. When Jesus told the story of the sower who went out to sow, he wasn't telling a true story about a guy, a farmer he knew. It was a made-up story he used to teach real truth. Animal Farm, George Orwell, that's an allegory. It's not a true story. You know how we know? Because the animals talk. That's how we know. That's the clue. That's, we call that a clue, kids. Okay, but if you read that, you learn about the follies of authoritarianism and communism. Okay, Pilgrim's Progress, allegory. Okay, Paul says, I'm going to speak about that very true story as if it were an allegory. We would say he uses it typologically. I want to use that story to teach you some higher truth that you need to know. And the first truth that Paul wants his friends in Galatia to see from the Hagar and Sarah story, it's in verses 24 and 25, is this truth. Hagar is like the law. Hagar is like the law. And he says, she is Mount Sinai. That's where God gave the law to Moses and, the, and thus to Israel. And here is why the law is like Hagar and Ishmael. And Ishmael and Hagar are like the law because Hagar and Ishmael represent Abraham's best effort to get God's promises for himself by his own effort. It was Abraham's plan or Sarah's plan that Abraham adopted. I, we want these promises so badly, 
We're going to do whatever we can to get them. And that's exactly what the law is. The law is God saying, do you want what I have as your ultimate best eternal life? Absolutely. Well, if you want it based on your efforts, this is what it would look like. Trying to be in control of my righteousness before God is just like Abraham taking matters into his own hands to try to get God's promises through his flesh. Here's the problem with that plan for Abraham. That's not how God wanted to give Abraham God's promises for Abraham. He didn't want Abraham to earn them. God doesn't lower a ladder down like a rock climbing wall and ask us to climb as hard as we can to achieve his best for us. That's why God waited till Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead and then gave them Isaac so that Abraham would know, so that Sarah would know, so that Isaac would know, and so that everyone who has ever read their story would know these people didn't achieve this. This was an absolute gift. The promises God gives through Abraham that we are grafted into are an absolute gift. How do we know? Look at how the first descendant, promised descendant was born. It's a gift. All of Abraham's efforts with Hagar to bring about Ishmael did not get him closer to God's promises. You know what they brought? Pain, heartache, heartbreak, and centuries of Arab-Israeli conflict that continues today. But that's a story of a, for another day, but that's where it started. Paul says he's teaching the law. Legalism does not get people closer to what God promises. Legalism, the idea that I can make myself more in God's eyes through my behavior, it does not get you closer to what God has promised. In fact, it's a barrier. And Paul says in verse 25, that's exactly where the present Jerusalem is at. Paul says some things in this story that would have been... <laughs> unbelievably offensive to law-keeping Jewish people in his, in his day and still today. When he says uh, the laws like Hagar and Ishmael, that would not have been taken well. Uh, and he says present Jerusalem, religious Judaism of Paul's day is, is just like it's a bunch of people using their efforts to get at God's promises and it won't work. It's the same mistake Abraham made by taking Hagar in the first place. It doesn't work. Now, verse 26 is supposed to surprise us. Here's what Paul, here's the metaphor Paul has been setting us up for. 
man, when you are in your when you when we get in that legalistic mindset where I'm responsible for my uh, righteousness before God, it, you're you're acting like Hagar is your mother, and you don't want Hagar to be your mother. You should want. That's what we would think, but it's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say Sarah is your mother, does he? Paul says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, don't, don't let, don't act like Hagar is your mother. Act like the Jerusalem from above is. Now, ancient Israel and our New Testament have a, both have a rich tradition of waiting on a new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above. For our intents and purposes, we can just call this heaven this morning, okay? There's a city above that people are going to live in uh, one day, and it's part of our eternal life. So here's what Paul says. Here's the contrast. Don't act like Hagar is your mother, the one who shapes you, the one who nurtures you. Don't be nurtured and shaped by the law. Be nurtured and shaped by not Hagar or the law, but by heaven, which is a free gift. Paul says, making the law like your mother, the one who shapes you, forms you, it will not get you where you want to go. It will not get you closer to God's promises. We have to be like Jesus says, born from above, born again. The controlling, the controlling hope of the Christian life is supposed to be our eternity with Christ. You know that? Now we're in church, it seems a very safe thing to say, and you kind of nod your heads if you're still listening at this point. But I'm not sure we actually live that way. If we're going to start stacking up what our hopes are, what drives us, what our goals are, what we can't wait for, is it really our eternity? Because according to Paul, one of these two things is going to control your and nurture and shape your heart, your real hope of eternity, or your flesh. And remember, the flesh is not just your sin. Your flesh is what you have the ability to accomplish all by yourself. A spiritual life in giant air quotes. A Christian life, giant air quotes, can be lived completely in the flesh. It happens all the time. It's not what Paul advocates for, but it's a reality. It looks a lot, it looks a lot like this. When I live in my flesh, I'm just focused on what I can accomplish, what I can gain, what I can collect, what I can earn, who I can be superior to, who I can impress, 
And the upside down version of this is who I don't measure favorably to, who I don't impress, what's wrong with me, right? But because I'm a Christian, I try to be good while I pursue all of that stuff. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I I just pursue and focus on what I actually want, what I can achieve, but I'm a Christian. I try to be good while I do it. Guess what that try to be good will be? The law. How do you know if you're being good or not? Well, I've got a list. I got a list of things I'm not supposed to do. I got a list of things I'm supposed to do, and I try to avoid these, do these, while I pursue what I can accomplish down here. Paul says here, and all over his writings in the New Testament, by the way, you're never going to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. Pursuing what you can achieve and trying to be good. That's like having the law as your mom. And who your mom is is important. He says, the one who nurtures you should be your true hope, your eternity. A whole bunch of stuff you can't possibly earn, achieve, do. When my heart and my focus and my goal and my hope really is on eternity, that will begin to shape me in some really positive ways. Because as we sing sometimes here, it's very true that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. When I live for that day, when my real home, my real mother country welcomes me, if I live for what I will have, then I'm way less Or my concerns for the stuff in this world just change. They just do. I am no longer so bent out of shape and focused on achieving and gaining and performing and collecting and having and growing. Because I know in a very short time, I'm going to be at a place where if I even think about that stuff I lived my life for, on earth, if, I, if it even crosses my mind, it'll be with regret. Like I spent my entire life on that garbage. Like it's kindling and worm food. And I tried to build a life out of it. And then I will look around and say, when my life was here, all along. This can affect us if heaven is like our mother who shapes us, who nurtures us, who keeps us on the right track. Look at what Paul says next. Sorry. He says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. The children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Do you hear what he's saying there? Keep in mind the story of Sarah and Hagar. They're suddenly in the same household. And for those 14 years, 
when Hagar had Abraham's son and Sarah was still barren. From an earthly perspective, during those 14 years, who had the reason to rejoice? And who had the reason to mourn? Who had the reason to feel like she actually had it all? And who had the reason to feel like I've still got nothing after all these years and I've followed God as faithfully as I could? And Do you know with God, that was upside down the entire time. Every second of every day since God promised Abraham and Sarah, my promises are going to come through you. Every second of every day, Sarah had way more reason to rejoice than any other woman on earth. Even though no one believed that to be true. Isn't that right? Folks, the one who holds, who possesses everything that God has promised for us one day, the one who has all that stuff has infinity for eternity. You can't add to that. You can't subtract from that. That person has way more reason to rejoice then all these people we look around at and we actually say, that person is so blessed. Like with what? If they are blessed with something 10 million years about from now, you won't care a lick about, is it a blessing? It is very possible that what we consider the best blessings of this earth are actually our biggest trials because they threaten to pull our focus away from our true home. As Paul would say, our real mom. Paul reminds his friends in verse 28, you brothers, like Isaac, you're children of promise. You're a bunch of miracle babies. He's speaking to a bunch of Gentiles who not too long before this were just polytheistic, pagan, just a wreck spiritually speaking. Paul says, look, look around. You're citizens of heaven. Do you know what a miracle that is? Why would you not live for the great miracle so that you can pursue stuff someday you won't even care about? In the last three verses, Paul gives some applications just for his Galatian friends. Paul says, you know, in that story of Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael began to persecute Isaac. Paul says, some things never change. The person who is born of the Spirit, the person who does not live according to the flesh, is never understood and liked very well by people who do. This is Paul's way of saying, hey Galatians, I know the legalists are being mean to you. I get it. Like, you're just going to have to get over it. It's always been that way. But Paul does say this. God said, cast out the slave woman and her son. This is Paul saying, get rid of them. Paul would never say, get rid of the Jews. Paul says, those people who take the name of Christ, but yet teach you, you have to obey your way into God's grace. You've, you can't have teachers like that around. 
you got to cast them out. And Paul concludes by saying, act like your mother. Your mother is heaven for free, not obey, and we'll see. It's kind of like Paul took a conversation that was happening about how to be a child of Abraham and sort of turned that around and said, I've already told you how to be a child of Abraham. Now let's talk about this. Who's your mother? It's either the law or it's heaven. And if we live like the law is our, is our mom, the one who shapes us, the one who guides our priorities, who keeps us in line, we are signing up. As I've said a hundred times in Galatians, we are signing up for one of two things. Either we're signing up for this life of constant failure and I've blown it again, I can't be good enough. Or self-deception where we think we are good enough. A life shaped by the law is just a life shaped by my flesh. What can I achieve? What can I attain? Or another cousin of that. Not how good do I have to be? How about this one? How not so good can I be and God still like me? That's flesh. If I live for who he is and what he has given, that becomes much less of an issue. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Jerusalem that is above, heaven is already your mother country, your true home. So as we finish and transition to the table, I just want to ask you, what what spiritual ideas about God, about your own righteousness, about your own identity are you shaped by? Those are kind of like your spiritual mother. If you really believe you have a father that's already adopted you, Abba, Father, loves you, accepts you, a mother, heaven, wait with her arms open, waiting to welcome you home, those ideas can begin to shape you. Like, why am I so concerned with what that person has? And what crowd they get to run in. And all of those things. Man, I'm acting like this life is the main point. And it's so not. As a believer in Jesus Christ, family, you've been set free from the impossible task of being good enough for God to like you. But you've also been set free from the the rat race of making somebody else like you too. You've been set, set free from the constant pursuit of being impressive, elite. If you want, you can spend your life trying to build upon everything that is possible for you to achieve, or you can spend it looking forward to receiving what's impossible for you to, get, to, to achieve, to earn. The choice is yours, but you will be shaped by which you choose. Let's pray. Our Father...
Um, thank you so much for the hope we have that we are secure in in Jesus Christ based on his sacrifice that we will celebrate at the table now. Father, I am guilty of what I have preached against this morning. It's so difficult for us to keep our hearts in heaven while our bodies are on earth. Father, help us just burn into our hearts the reality that we have far more already than we could ever hope to gain and we cannot lose what's already been reserved for us. That we would live open-handed down here. That we would see the world not as what is ours to conquer and, and people to impress, but just that we have a Father to represent while we are down here. And in the days of our journey that we have left, Lord, as you guide us, help us remember where you are guiding us to and what really is already ours and how little most of the stuff we care about so much is going to matter for all of eternity that that might begin to change us far more than our hardest work ever can. And God, as the men come forward, and we consider the bread. I pray that uh, you'd remind us in a special way what put us in this position we are in. It's not us. It was all Jesus. That he gave his life as a ransom for many. We are all miracle babies born again through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on the cross. Commune with us as the bread comes around in Jesus' name. Amen.